overrated, Rick. No, they're pretty I'm underrated. It's just fudge. Like, like I mean, if I could, if I could, fudge. It just tastes like, like it chocolate. doesn't taste like fudge. It ta- I don't think it, it's definitely not fudge. <laughs> it is definitely not actual fudge. I mean, if I was like, fudge is delicious. A a candy it's bar versus smooth like, and actually, like, I actually like Tootsie Rolls better than like normal fuds. <laughs> normal fuds? <laughs> <laughs> fudge. I like Tootsie Rolls more than any fuds. Elmer's, well, I mean, if you compare you know, like, like what uh, other to- like what Tootsie Rolls are kind of I guess the no, same it's, size. It's chocolate. Of, like I would say Tootsie Rolls are high up there, but if you're comparing it to candy bars, that's just unfair to Tootsie Rolls. Yeah, yeah. I mean. Well, that that just I feel like proves my point that it's real kind of terrible because candy bars are, for the most part, all right at worst. Uh, I can't think of I can't think of a candy bar that I like hate, but I can think I definitely was always discouraged when I got Tootsie Rolls while I was trick or treat trick treasure dreaming. Either right, way, that's not what we're here to discuss. Oh right. Uh oh that's right. I'm I'm Chris and stuff. I, I make films. I'm a filmmaker and uh I'm upside down. I'm Rick Fox and I uh, definitely did not get hit by a car, just like that deer. <laughs> the deer got hit by a car. Yep. <laughs> Probably. And it it doesn't really matter much. <laughs> <laughs> and I am binge, and I am just wondering where the hell Barb it really is. Well wait, where's binge? In binge. in heaven or hell? I don't know who binge is. Oh yes, I am. Is this binge. the first time you've introduced yourself as binge? No, it does not. Okay, I'm just so used to you saying. He, well, and he, I'm binge. Well, that's his name. He just <laughs> makes up. He made up the <laughs> part. He wants yeah. to pretend he has a full name, but it's yeah, only binge. I want to pretend that I have a full name, and it's 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 kind of sad. It I'm is like a Bono. Bit. I only have one name, but I try to add more because I don't want to be like Bono. Mm. That's fair. I wouldn't want to be like. And Bono. binge, what are you? I'm just wondering where Barb is. And that, that is what my life has been consumed by. And what are we? We're opinionated. Ooh, yay. All right. And we're talking Stranger Things. Episodes five and six. Yes, that's right. We just watched episode five. And I'm not going to lie. This is probably my least favorite episode. Really? I mean, it's not awful, but I do feel like there's some low moments. Low, not as in like quiet, but as in like, I feel like they could have been way better. Uh, compared to the rest of the show, particularly, like, I've enjoyed every episode a little more than this one. Really? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I'm, I'm kind of surprised you don't. No, I think it's I think kind of a downer episode. It's a little bit of a downer, yeah, but that's kind of par for the course at this stage of the game. Like, at, no way. At, at around at around this point in a show, uh, around the you're past the halfway point of a show, which you want a big middle. But at that point, you kind of have to have a couple low moments so that you can start ramping up towards the I big d- thing. I don't mean low as in like how intense it is. I mean low as in like not effective for me. What? Like I just oh, found. Okay, give us some examples. Okay, well, my first example I have is Mike's jump to conclusion about the upside down uh, based on L saying upside down. He seems to like describe what sounds like a very workable like idea of where Mike is, which through the context of the show makes a ton of sense, but through the context of what he's actually experienced and understands does seems to be a bit of a, a jump. Really it just seems, yeah, I, I, what, what part I, specifically would you say is a jump? Cause it didn't that, seem that's that way the to beginning me. where, uh, no, no, I know what the scene you're talking about. I mean, like what parts of what he's describing seem like an over much of a jump. It just seems like to me, like he said, and I may be completely remembering the scene wrong, but it seems to me like he just said like, okay, what if there's something similar to us, but different, like, 
Well, it that's exactly that it. it. It arouses a lot of questions in me that say, well, how did you get there? <laughs> all, all he has to go off of is two moments. One where L flips the board game upside down and puts the wizard on it. Uh, and that's really the only visual clue there that provides it as an upside down. She never says it, it's upside down or anything. She just says, Will is hiding. And then later she says, upside down. Will then goes from just those two points straight to Will's in another dimension. And that to me seems like a real stretch. If he had experienced all the things that the rest of the characters in the show have, I think it, there'd be a little more to go on. But there I find it pretty ludicrous. If, I mean, if I, you say so, I mean, he's a kid. He's probably, well, no, this is the 80s, so video games aren't going to be as much of a thing. But he's clearly a D&D nerd. So the idea of alternate dimensions or whatever you would call it in his D&D campaign would probably be in his head. I mean, they actually just jump directly to a thing that is exactly that from their D&D campaign that clearly at least one of them is very familiar with. But that's and like me so, it's 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 not enough for me to be like okay that doesn't work it's that's there's enough information to for the jump to happen in my head at I least think, so. I think they do a really good good job as far as making that transition for somebody watching it because um, you have Hopper like I mean we've already been introduced a yeah, little a, bit here and there that's a big part of but why then I we like have that, Hopper we like basically showing this is the gateway and like this is on top of like intro, like having. Um, the bad guy number seven well like i said within the context of the show and what Mm -hmm. we've experienced as the audience it feels like okay yeah this is the point where the kids figure it out but i don't believe that the kids should have figured it out yeah no and that's what i was getting to is like i i kind of agree with you that it's kind of a big jump for the kids to have made or at least um mike to have made that jump um from not like just two clues that are completely random and unless you already know what's going on that they wouldn't make sense um i mean and i, I if mean, you say so I, I don't agree but i don't I know how do to argue that. So. that that feels like enough information for me but that that's here's fine. the thing it's it's definitely enough information for the sake of like getting the story to where it needs to be in this episode but it's not enough well, no, information it's a to bit justify where the characters <laughs> are I, I can't believe that I'm the one on the side of no, the show is believable enough. But <laughs> yeah, it uh, is sort of a strange. I mean, we just, are both on our second time watching through this, right? At and least it, that, I um, thought this the first time. Oh, I, you did. First time I watched it, I didn't like this episode very much. Oh yeah, no, for I, a lot of reasons like this. When I when I first saw this episode and like all, the entire show, I bought into everything that they were doing, everything. Barring some stuff that I guess we'll get into later in the show. The last but, bone of the, the thing yeah, is the biggest yeah, problem. Yeah, exactly. I, the, actually, it's the only problem that I have that I can think of off the top of my head. But, uh, I mean, I like I said, I, I feel that like it's the most egregious one. I, I feel like that's enough. One. Yeah, that's definitely, that's the one that, that I actually, I'm probably going to be agreeing with you. But, I mean, I don't know how to say other than, you know, that it seems like enough information to me. I, 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 but what's I the big, information? <laughs> he 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 trusts Eleven. All right, that's that's one thing. You have okay. a visual motif of him like having this this thing that represents Will on this board. She flips it over, puts it in the same position. That's that tells not, him he's hiding and tells him he's hiding. But, but that's after she puts down the Demogorgon, or at the same time, or it's, the hiding is attached to me to the Demogorgon, not to the the move to the upside down on the board. 
when she what? says no no she's, she's definitely implying that there's a demogorgon no that's not what i'm saying chris what i'm saying is that she's attaching the hiding to the demogorgon she's not he's not hiding in that other world he is hiding from the demogorgon at least that's what i i took as uh what was well, going on she kind of means but yeah and in, in that scene that's what we are initially supposed to read but we are also supposed to i think read that he is somewhere else and that's why yes, she didn't know, put him that, on the board with the demogorgon by itself she had to yes, flip it upside I, down that, that's that's what i said yes. no <laughs> you said it's only attached to him hiding from the demogorgon no the word hiding is attached to the demogorgon it's not he's hiding in this other world with the demogorgon he is in this other world and hiding, he's hiding from, from the demogorgon the two, they're, two separate, sure. they're two very separate pieces of information in my head the way that it's portrayed but in the, that scene but the idea was she was trying to communicate both things still like yes chris that's what I'm making sure you know. Yes, Chris. Okay. I think you're both, you I think you're both saying the same thing. <laughs> so I got enough from, from that scene to get, okay, he's in. So, and I guess I, I am also adding to this stuff that I had already seen with other parts of the, the show. Well, actually, actually, no, that would happen in episode two, didn't it? And we didn't that, actually the part see, we just described. That's episode two. Yeah. And yep. we didn't see the actual other side or the upside down until Barb got eaten. And that episode was in three, three, I think. Yeah. And okay. uh, yeah. But between that and her trying to explain no uh will is here when he's clearly not here here that's enough for me like i i can see a kid making that jump and then looking to her and you know if she if they didn't have 11 around at that point and he was just making that jump in in like had no uh, nothing to confirm that or nothing to to go along with that that would be one thing but um because she's there and she can kind of uh confirm that that's that's good enough for me i think the pieces exists but i don't think that i think there needed to be more i think that there's an insubstantial number of elements and he just sort of like remembers everything suddenly mentions it very briefly like remember the game board and everyone's like yeah all right 100 percent. like totally get it totally on board no other questions asked the realm of shadows whoa whoa, whoa. no no real. no like uh uh, uh what's his name lucas lucas the, is the black kid and yeah. it is lucas is the dustin. black kid and dustin, dustin okay. is lucas the curly is, headed one is still being his like i'm not on board with this thing with, the entire with, episode and he's a huge wet blanket on it with yeah. 11 being trustworthy but not with the idea of the realm of shadows being a real concept I f- no i feel like he was pretty uh, against that as well until dustin was on board as like and trying to help with uh mike's point like I feel like he was I given some don't serious that part. No, I, I I I agree with Rick. I think Lucas is kind of designed throughout the show, at least is somewhat going to be the wet blanket and kind of oh yeah, thing, definitely. I'm not arguing things that. until like it. Okay, it's obvious. Right. Like after they well, and after they speak to the teacher, then like he's he buys in completely. Well, I would I would back well. up and say I don't consider him the wet blanket. I just consider him like he's a the very the voice of reason. Yes, he's, yeah, the skeptic. He, and, he's the skeptic, but particularly to eleven, he's not the skeptic in every situation. Period. Uh, he's the skeptic with everything that he does like hold back on just about everything like he doesn't want to go help uh go look for will he doesn't want to you know he's consistently like saying no, no that's not true it's because that's not of true. information Dustin didn't want to go look for will in the first episode no Ju- locust no. was the one that he had they, to convince over the radio he had to be like no he, he didn't cast even convince such, him yes he, he did he just had to say let's go look for will no. remember how luke remember how will was self-sacrificial shouldn't we do the same thing he's like yes you are right will was like that let's be like that for him but there's like he a serious conversation before that, that there 
What do you mean? I mean, he's constantly the one who's holding everyone back. He's constantly the one that's the saying, like, no, we shouldn't do that. Uh, this is a situation. No, there was a long time. scene. <laughs> the scene where, where did Lucas say, let's not go look he for was, Will in he, the, the first entire episode? Time. He said, that's dumb. We're not going to find him. Like, there's no reason to do that until Mike was like, look, he did this thing. We should support him and try to find him. Like, he had to be convinced in that exact scene. I don't well, I remember think, him I ever think, being a naysayer in the first episode. You, in I, fact, when they was. get there and it starts to rain, uh, the other one is the one that says, let's turn back. And Lucas says, don't be a baby. Yeah, We're here to no, find no, him. Yeah, he's, once he's on board, he's on board. He he is with the plan. But I think what um, I think a lot of as far as Lucas and what he is doing, it's like most of the time he is hesitant about doing anything when Eleven is like sort of the one giving the information to do something. That's what I'm saying. Is but he is mostly all, tied to Eleven, mostly, not just being a wet blanket in general. Mostly, but he has been he has been kind of hesitant to join in. And I think a lot of it was just because he was freaking out. And his parents were probably freaking out, and so you're supposed to get that reaction from Lucas. Right. It's it opposed. seems to me that if uh, if Dustin is going to be reluctant, it's going to be because of something like he's hungry or something more immediate like that. But with Lucas, it just seems like every single time he opens his mouth, it's something negative and something like, okay, we shouldn't do this. Okay, Eleven is dumb now. Okay, you know, like, it's getting to a point where it's frustrating to me, and I don't like the character anymore. So. See, that that's where, and this is something where the second time watching it through, the first time watching it, I felt that way. But the second time, I'm noticing those moments where he is the one who's on board. And the moments where he seems to be a wet blanket seem very realistic because they are tied to Eleven and they are tied to the fact that from his perspective, he's seeing a lot of inconsistencies that the other two, for whatever reason, aren't seeing. Uh, and it may not be that necessarily like Dustin's not seeing them, um, but Mike is just like trusting Eleven. He spends more time with her. He It's justifiable. Um, and I'm Dustin, not, sorry. I'm not saying that it's not realistic. That That's a different thing. He, he, I think he is a well-written character. It's just that because we as the audience have a lot more perspective than he does, um, we're seeing that he's incorrect in so many things. And so him constantly being on about don't trust Eleven, blah, blah, blah. It gets annoying because we know that's not accurate. Like there's no reason to be that way except that you can't see it. Like, Well, at the end of this episode sort of turns that on its head. Because Eleven directly sabotages their goals. Yes. She has a good reason to. Right. I mean, exactly. we would and assume. That's, but that's they, what I'm saying. But, but he's also right. She is sabotaging like said, their attempts. It does make sense from his perspective. But as an, as an audience member who has more perspective than he does, he's becoming annoying to me. Because I have more perspective. And I know that he's consistently been wrong throughout most of the show. And even here, he's kind of wrong. He just doesn't understand how he's wrong. I mean, it's sort of semantics on what you mean by wrong, because he's 100 percent right. He is correct that she is trying to sabotage them. But the reason she's doing it is a very, very good one. They have no business doing what they're doing. Like, this is a dumb idea. They are. If this was the real world, they would all get killed and eaten at best. I mean, yeah, probably. So and that's that's sort of my point is that I'm much more on Eleven's side and I understand where she's coming from. But Lucas is making un, uh, assumptions based on his perception that are in actuality not founded, um, not well founded. And it's annoying to me at this point. Um, yeah, it, I, he just mm-hmm. becomes I think to me, he's very like I agree with Rick. I did not enjoy watching his character for the most part through the first time. And it's coming back again in this one. It's just he's 
const it's almost like on a constant thing that if anything small goes wrong that he can disagree with 11 and i like seeing the full season i know why but he's very hot-headed when it comes to that and it's just aggravating when it's just like she's been right the past like three or four times and you're just as soon as anything goes wrong you flip well which i mean the i mean if you look at the third episode third episode when they find will's fake body um no 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 no. was it the third third yeah it's the third sorry my bad continue um I mean, that would have been a great opportunity for Lucas to have played that wet blanket role. But instead, he sort of plays well, a did. lot more. No, he didn't. He, Mike played the wet blanket and ran away. Well, Lucas, yes, that Lucas also played happened, the. But as soon Lucas as, actually came to Eleven's defense and said, Luke, Mike, come on, don't be like that. That's not coming and, to Eleven's defense. That's him not well, wanting it, his friend to like freak out on him. Well, no, he he did come to Eleven's defense and saying like, "Hey, Mike, you need to cal- like you need to calm down." Like he's responding to Mike. Directly. Mike mean when, when Mike is yelling at Eleven, yelling and screaming okay, gotcha. at Eleven. Yeah, I see exactly. What you're I misunderstood what you meant by coming to defense. But I think, but the reason why that 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 scene happened that way is because it was much stronger between the two of them than if they had Lucas flip on. Eleven, it wouldn't have been. Yeah, and that's a storytelling. That's a storytelling. It also does help flesh out Lucas as a character. It makes him less. Yes, it does. He's not just a wet blanket character who's moping all the time. He does have these moments of levity, which happen at crucial moments. Levity. Well, maybe levity is not the right word. He doesn't feel so like you know heavy in one note and down all the time you uh, say so I'm, I, I'm I not do. getting it like because i mean immediately after that like it, once uh 11 does the radio trick for him you know he's right back to it of like you're listening to her again like why are we doing this why are we why are you paying attention to that radio thing like I, you just you well, just heard, think, probably heard some baby on the radio uh, or tapped into someone else's you know baby monitor like it's just it seems like that's all he does and it does he does at this point to me seem very one note and maybe if i was coming through this the second time with more knowledge of what his character <laughs> is like uh that uh or something like that um, I would see more nuance, but because this is the first time through, I have to go off of what seems to be the high level stuff that's going on. And for me, the high level stuff of him is just, I don't believe 11. I don't believe 11, blah, blah, blah. I don't believe 11. I mean, that is sort of his role in the story is he's sort of the one that tries to keep the group, you know, more earthbound. But, uh, you do that by basically like going against 11 since she's the supernatural force right. in a lot of ways but either way i mean i feel like we've talked about yeah. this quite enough uh going forward we get to the song during the funeral which as sad as the funeral is the song is the jam oh my gosh what was the song i don't it, i mean i don't remember the, the fucking soundtrack oh i don't know how to hum it I legit don't remember it at all. <laughs> I just thought it was really okay, awesome. Cool. <laughs> I mean, I, I'll like this sound, the soundtrack to this entire show, I think is awesome. I think we mentioned like right in the opening um, when Hopper is basically has broken into um, which the uh, yeah. military base. We all commented one. on like, wow, like this is very 80s, but it is awesome. Like yeah, it definitely. works and it just it pulls you into the show and into that that time frame. Yeah, like totally immediately agree. as soon as the show starts you get 
like you get pulled back into the story because of the soundtrack. Yeah, it's, definitely. I think it, it's very strong throughout. There's something about the way the song builds, particularly during the funeral sequence. I may have been the only one who noticed it, but like it's the most like banging track that I feel like I could repeat <laughs> from this show so far. Fair enough. <laughs> we should just go back and listen to it. <laughs> um, then uh, we get basically to this pretty long funeral sequence, which includes a, a pretty charming comedic bit where the boys, they believe um, will to be alive. Right. Mm-hmm. And so when they see, I, I forget what her name is. That's like, Stephanie something like the girl, Rachel would yeah, tell him that Stephanie crying. was crying right. at his funeral. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that was like, that funny. Was... I liked that. I also liked. Oh, it, this was a moment of levity from Lucas. I really like them uh, when the the teacher that they like talks to him is like, "Hey, I know this has been kind of rough on you," and and Lucas is just like, "We are in mourning." <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and Dustin's and like, like, "Oh man, they got off brand vanilla wafers." <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah, exactly. I really liked that. I thought that was really funny because those are like reactions that you would think that kids would have if they like, okay, this is sad. But we know it's not real, so... Right. I can even see that being kids at a funeral. I mean, a lot of kids mm-hmm. at that age, they just don't entirely get death yet. Like, And, so, and they're going to react in completely off-the-wall ways. Like, It's just the way that that kind of thing tends to hit children, I think. What did you What did you guys think of like Lonnie's arc in this episode? I hate that guy. I wish I, there I were worse hate thi- him, too. I yeah. wish there were even worse things happening. Like, I want him to be eaten by the monster. I'm mad that that didn't... Like, I was really hoping after, like, he showed up that what would happen is he would somehow do things to make things worse, and then at some point he would be arguing with her and backing up towards that hole in the wall, and then something would, like, reach through and just pull him through or something like that. That yeah. would have been ideal for me. I, I sort of, like, felt like that was going to happen, and then it didn't. Yeah. And I was like, huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, and I, I felt the same like felt the same thing. I was like, he's here for not good reasons. Like he was painted at the beginning, like I think of the first or second episode, as the tool dad that doesn't really care about his kids. And then he just shows up randomly to help out. Well, he shows his, up for the funeral. Well, he shows up for the funeral, but also shows up and is like doing things around the house, trying to help clean up, right? Like, get everybody moving on and yeah. you know it's like oh wow he's actually trying but i was just like he no, just I, he's just never so believe- sleazy i yeah. was like for like a half a second i was like oh okay and then all like just at the end of that like quick scene where he's you know boarding up the walls he's like man it's just it sucks like you know they should be held liable for that like there's no signs or i was like right. oh okay i know exactly where his arc is going yeah and he should be eaten but he probably won't he'll probably just get kicked out <laughs> I, I do like that it gives, um, what's the mom's name? Joyce. Joyce. I do like that it gives Joyce this moment where she can uh, have a backbone and be angry at something that is physically there. Like, I feel like a lot of the stuff that's happened, she's been up against a monster that she can't really, you know, like, you run away from that. That is the correct response. Something she can't and, physically interact with. Yeah, and a lot of the time she's been very sad because of the situation with her son, which is entirely mm-hmm. believable, and I like it. But this gives her something that she can get angry at and, and actually do something about. And I really like that we get to see that. Mm-hmm. I I like that aspect of it, too. I also sort of wish that like Lonnie just wasn't in this show at all. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's more so than I hate him. It, it does not feel like he really services the story very much. It doesn't. If this um, is all that happens, then yeah, I totally agree. Yeah. I, I honestly 
if if there's something more i can't remember it past this episode i'll tell you that right now gotcha. i don't think i'm really spoiling anything it's either unmemorable or this might actually be it um maybe you'll show back up in season two when something will happen and die yeah. hopefully, hopefully. <laughs> having said that i like that he's a major asshole probably the mm-hmm. show's biggest asshole but he's also not the like he's also not like a cartoonish asshole right you know what i mean like there's he's acting basically in this episode the character is acting in front of all these people pretending mm-hmm. to care when his real objective is money right and i yeah. think that that actually makes it more effective and one of the strengths of the show is that no one here really is like you know a uh uh this I'm not sure what the word is for it would be, but uh, in true Chris fashion, um, they're not like, you know, these fake representations of these stock characters. They're not all flat. Yeah. Like cartoons are. Yeah. Um, And uh, not cartoons, the genre, but they're actually drawn images. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, to be honest, like with him, he's the closest I feel to being that way at this point. Yeah, he is the closest. But there is a moment in the middle of this episode where I feel like I, I can't tell if it's because there's something off about him or if it's I'm not comfortable with the fact that he sounds relatively reasonable reasonable and i'm expecting to consider him an asshole going forward you know what i mean which which point are you is there a specific point you're talking about well when he when the basically the points binge brought up where he's helping around the house he's pointing out that he's you know angry at this company that you know they didn't even like put up a sign they don't care that someone died there right there's moment it's moments it's like you know that might be how someone would actually you know respond to the scenario i could see that yeah. I, I think I would agree more with you if there wasn't that scene between him and his kid there. Um, what's, I'm sorry to ask again. Jonathan. I'm, uh, but yeah, if there wasn't that scene between him and Jonathan, I think I would agree with you more. But that much more paints him suddenly again as, yeah, he, this guy is a jerk. He is not here for good. And Jonathan is the only one who's seeing through that at the moment. Yeah. I, I, at well, that I think, moment, though, the first time I watched it, I started to wonder if maybe Jonathan just has like whatever the opposite of rose colored glasses would be when it possible. comes to yeah. him. And I mean, for good reason, he left the family. Right. But also, if someone's in that position and they really do want to help, you know, it's justifiable from a narrative perspective that right. they could withhold bitterness, even if the other person is trying to be good. And I'm seeing it through this lens of, I feel like I'm supposed to always hate the stepdad character who left home, but he seems reasonable. And that makes the turn later more effective for me because it's both a satisfaction of what I expected, but mm-hmm. it's also, there's an element of surprise to it because that makes it feel a little more authentic and original and real. I suppose, honestly, I really do think that I would have liked it better if he had hadn't had that turn if he had just been someone who was trying to like if it didn't feel like it was about the money but if he felt like he was genuinely like sad that his kid had died and needed to take it out and that's the way that he saw the uh, an opportunity to take out that anger i'd like that a lot better because i I don't disagree with that i feel like so often the stepdad is just painted as this horrible monster like if there's a step parent or a parent that's estranged it feels like in fiction one of them has to be a monster and i would like it better if we could have had a moment where we go okay these two people just didn't work together like it's not for, that he doesn't care about his kids it's just yeah, it didn't work exactly that i think that would work better and you could have even <sighs> painted him as a, a jerk in the early episodes but i think that would have made it in, more interesting to have him later turn out to not be entirely a jerk maybe he's with some girl that he shouldn't be with that's too young for him or something but or maybe still. he's trying to mend fences or something like exactly that, yeah. it, it, i think that would be more interesting personally i i actually completely agree that sounds like 
a major improvement because as it is now like you know the cartoonish example like he he feels too and i'd say stock as in he's pulling being pulled from a pool right but it feels like stock as in like most generic possible way yeah. to play uh-huh. this a character in this dynamic right and well, i yeah i don't like it actually, and i think okay oh, i think a lot of why he is in the show right now is be is to kind of give the audience a connection as far as um up until this point jonathan has been somewhat hostile to his mom about how she's acting and how she's handling everything because he doesn't know what's really going on he has no idea that there's a monster and then all of a sudden and like towards the end of the last episode him and nancy make that realization like oh there is a monster and we have to do something about it they make that realization and this is the first time he's confronted with somebody calling his mom crazy now that he knows what's going on and i think that's really strong of him after he's been like yelling at her and freaking out basically saying he's like no i'm burying my brother this this friday it'd be awesome if you could make it instead of just freaking out and unwinding at the house and just going completely nuts and now he's defending um, her to his father yeah saying no she's not crazy and i think like that's a really strong like change in reaction to even just show us like he is flipped 180 than he like from where he was even the last episode because i think the last episode he freaked out on yeah, her he, in, in, in her. like in the square saying like well i'm burying jonathan this friday it'd be awesome if you could make it and like just to go from like that 180 um i, I almost feel like the, really strong i feel like almost the, another part of the reason is just the practical of someone had to arrange this funeral and it doesn't at this point in the story feel like either jonathan or joyce would have done that so or would have had time to do that really e- exactly and so it may be that um so yeah uh i feel like he serves a practical purpose but at the same time, like it's it's under storytelling. It's yeah. just not. It could it could have been better. Yeah. And <laughs> actually, honestly, like if we had gone with the other description, the one that I gave just now, as opposed to the character he actually is at the cardboard cutout, that would make him getting eaten later even worse because we would have started off hating him and then gradually grown to understand and maybe even like him, and then he gets eaten. Yeah. Oh so. yeah, that'd be crazy. <laughs> that would have been that'd be upsetting. All right, so we got like at least three more pretty big set pieces to go. Yeah, through. we should probably but do that. <laughs> I do want to say this is the first episode my, during my first watch where I started to go. Okay, I think I really do like Steve now. Do you guys agree? Yeah, I have to say, like, I the fact that he came and apologized without prompting or anything, and the way that he takes the the fact that she rejects his offer of going to a movie and is cool with it. <sighs> Yes, I like the guy. Yeah, yeah. come on. You can't not like him. <laughs> like, Take it, the he, phone he, it, it does seem at this point that if, for him to make some kind of heel turn at, at this point in the show would feel really unfounded. Like, he, he seems to be a genuinely good guy. And he actually is, he's sort of the, the same thing. Like, he would, uh, as, as what was going on with Lonnie, uh, or what we said should go on with Lonnie, he feels like this character at the beginning that we shouldn't like. He's the popular kid, he's the good-looking kid, he's with our main girl when there might be something going on later between her and this other other weirder guy mm. like there's what do you a think lot of that of, i'm curious that i don't get any i don't i don't get any imp- impression of a love triangle from them 
Um, uh, the first time I was a little suspicious. I feel like that that's the, the really trite and rote way to go with it. But at this point, I haven't seen any moments between them that felt uh, romantic and in, in any way. I feel some there's definitely some some friendship going on and some chemistry as far as friendship goes. But I haven't gotten anything that would lead me to think that either of them is romantically interested in the other. What about their delightful bickering in the woods? That is so... That was very hostile. Yeah. <laughs> I actually really like that conversation. I oh like that they God. both get some awesome. excellent digs on each other. I hated it. Really? It is my least favorite scene what? in the show. It is it is paint like I don't enjoy watching scenes like that just because it's just so awkward and like painfully awkward and I hate watching like even in cinema like watching people be painfully awkward is the worst for me. But like that is so good and so real, I think of like how the Yeah, how, I'm 100% on Benji's side. Oh, He's exactly I mean, correct. If, if, if like he's saying like i see this in you and then which like pointing out which i think are really pointed things that he is saying not necessarily good or bad just very pointed and her reaction i would think yeah some guy that she barely knows saying these very pointed things at her the reaction that a lot of people would have especially at that age would be you don't know me and like would flip and like dig at somebody exactly and then him being a character that's kind of an outsider and a loner would take her heated remarks even worse and so i think it builds very naturally i think it's very very interesting and i i actually really like his uh his breakdown of what what her actions are doing because i believe those and i've thought those since the first episode like exactly what he said i would have been like yeah that's that's pretty much her character as far as all these things that she's doing i just feel like in this the way these events are stacking up the thing i liked about it was not that you know it felt like you know like at this point in this episode i was starting to wonder okay is there going to be a love triangle between these three characters but before this episode i was like no way um and when she rejected steve's offer i was like oh does this mean i kind of hope not and then when they're walking through the woods i'm like oh okay this is the the pre we we're gonna fall in love with each other bickering moment and i I'm, thought it felt really cliche and really dumb and i honestly i hear what you guys saying like it feels really real to me it feels unreal it feels like people don't talk to each other like this if anything if she was going to be hostile with him, it would be over the fact that she took that he took her picture while she was getting undressed at all. Him giving this analysis and her getting mad at him for the reasons she states feel like so out of left field to me. I completely and him disagree. responding to her the way he does when I've sensed no hostility from him towards her or feeling negatively about her in any way. It just feels like it's just drama for the sake of making things look complicated on screen when there's no other evidence for them to feel complicated on screen. At least not for the reasons presented in this scene. Not at all. Let me, no. let me, let me at least break it down from my perspective. The way that I see that conversation going i don't think that she cares as much about the picture itself because i don't think that she believes it's wank material i I get that impression from her so for her to bring it up as like you took this inappropriate picture of me that would ring a little bit hollow for me but i could see where that would come from but the fact that he breaks down um breaks her down the way that he does that hits something that i think is an actual nerve for her something that she actually feels and i think because he's accurate with it that's what makes her angry and then her coming back at him feels to him as the same way that everyone else is looking at him when he thought that she was seeing him for who he was the way that she talks to him about the way that he is 
makes hits things really accurately for, on him as well. And so that to me felt natural because of that. If it had gone down the way that I'm hearing what you're saying, and it, I think if um, I think if I was seeing this as the beginning of a love triangle, I would feel differently. But because I'm not seeing that, because I'm just seeing these two as being potential friends, um, it, it's coming across very differently to me. So. Well, I don't know. For me, no matter how it turns out, I hate this scene. I, I can't stand it. It just feels really fake, and it does not feel honest and endearing from that, these characters to me. I, that is I insane disagree. to me. I 100% agree. This has Awful. felt one of the most real and most realistic scenes oh that God. I've seen. Like, I don't know where you're coming from with that. Oh, it's so bad. It's amazing. It's really good. It's very well written. It's, oh, my gosh. We just need to move on because we're not going to come to an agreement on this. <laughs> I guess. So, what about the science, the, the science teacher? I guess. <laughs> oh, I love it. I, I like his explanation. It, I I like where he takes it. Like I I like that he jumps to. I don't know why you don't like these things. There's nothing wrong with them. Here's the thing. I I really like the character of the science teacher. I for the same reason that I don't like how. Um, the kids just sort of jump on board with the idea of the upside down. I sort of don't like how this scene feels like really rushed. It's like, okay, let's just go through all these like, you know, metaphysical examples of how the universe works and not question at all the fact that these kids are acting really interested and excited at a funeral for their friend. It just feels str very strangely staged within the story. You and say I, so. I don't, I don't well, get that I think, at all. I think, um, he he has taken a vested interest in these kids and it shows throughout like i guess the first part that he is invested in these kids not only just as students but as people and so he is he I don't wants, disagree with any of that yeah but he is um i what i see is that he is trying like they show interest in something and it's something that like him telling them about this the upside down and other dimensions is a way for him to get their mind off of what has happened. He is doing that purely so that they have something else to think about and talk about as opposed to their dead friend. Yeah. I, mean, I would I believe that if there wasn't this other moment in that conversation, which I really liked, it makes it a little better for me um, where he says, and that means in another universe, there's a world for none of this happened and they're like oh no we don't care about that and he's like oh and it's funny and it's light-hearted and it, mm -hmm. it's you know it helps for the viewing experience but the fact that the rest of the scene happens the way it does makes me go okay like if i'm that scientist teacher i am first and foremost like confused with how distracted these kids are from the world around them oh. and it weirds me out a little bit I mean, okay i mean like what do you expect what, what, what do you expect out. him to do like be like no remember your friend is dead but that's why i don't like it is because there's not really an appropriate response for him within the frame of the story as it's currently structured if you well, say i mean so, like I, you I, pointed out you could frame a story however you want as a writer you can have this conversation take place in another point in time or in another place and you can you know frame the dialogue differently anything that makes the sequence of events makes more sense to you and feel more digestible to me it's just odd like it's a very odd scene but i what i get from him he is a very odd person to begin with oh i think he he's is cool as hell no and I, yeah that's no. not odd in a bad way he's odd but he's cool because he's a nerd but we're nerds so we like that but, no, he, but well, every single what time do you they, mean by odd well like it's just he gets so giddy and up like hyper almost every single time they ask about anything um and he is just like oh i want to tell you more and tell you more and tell you more and then he stops and is like oh bring this down a little bit and like try to bring some levity and some light onto the situation I was like oh we don't care and he's like 
oh, well, that was weird. Um, I'll keep explaining this to you because it's something that I'm interested in. And it's really awesome to have 10-year-olds that are also interested in the same thing. I think... think that's 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 more of like i guess what you find hard to believe is that he jumps into the oh i want to show you this really cool thing like a kid would do more so than him being an adult and doing the same thing well for me if i was at a funeral and i was like hanging out with like peers or even students of mine and they asked me questions about Star Wars, I wouldn't get as animated about Star Wars as I would in normal life. That's a blatant lie. I would not. <laughs> that is a direct weird. lie. I'd be like, oh, you like Star Wars? That's great, man. With, like, I, I like those characters, too. With 10-year-olds, like, I, I totally would. Like, I would try to tap into that. And at a I would funeral try to, for their friend? Yeah, if they are coming to me with that, like, if that's how they want to do that, that fine cool like however they deal with grief i'm not gonna tell them like no we need to be somber let me clarify i think that it's clear from the way the scene is described that they are not dealing with grief not just because we know that they're not actually grieving but on the face of it they don't seem to be dealing with any real grief uh but okay, also but here like do you just, just expect them along. to just end the conversation and go to their parents like hey your kids aren't grieving that's weird i already covered that argument which <laughs> is that you can frame it however you want and as presented he can't respond in a way that's appropriate to me but just to get it moving along i think my big problem with the scene is really the end how they start talking about you know the need for a gate and this great amount of power and energy and it just feels like it's sort of like the opening scene to me where it just feels a little too convenient to be jumping into this like whole all right it's definitely like the realm of shadows or whatever they call it and i don't know it's not very believable that's all accurate science stuff that you're talking about right now though the realm of science or the realm of shadows no not that part but that's just kind of a thing that they attach it to but the the gateway the multiple the the multiple universes thing that he brings up like all that is and even the the examples that he gives of trying to explain how it works that's all standard examples of how that like that makes perfect sense to me and is very believable because that is how most people try to describe that thing or that concept when it's brought up to them. There's something about like the specific language that was used that just felt like too convenient in this scene to me. Well, it's and I found it kind of cheesy. Children. He can't, he, he can't go into the, it's not because it was like too juvenile or something. It's I honestly, I can't even really describe it adequately unless I rewatch the whole scene and like break it down. Why I guess. And even then I may not be able to convince any of you because of the same reason I didn't like the walk in the forest scene, but it just felt very awkward. The whole scene felt very awkward except for like the two moments of levity which is really lucas's bit in the beginning and then the bit where he thinks he's helping them grieve and he realizes he's not i mean i i just i disagree but okay let's move on (laughs) and i guess last thing to talk about would really be well no i guess there's two more things to talk about the first thing to talk about is the injury scene injury scene. lucas gets thrown against the rock slab yeah, yeah yeah Uh, all the yeah, all the buildup for that, including like the flashbacks to oh, I uh, love those 11, flashbacks, like finding the monster and all that stuff is just so like I that gives you the real sense like they are in deep trouble if they keep going where they're going. Like we already have that, but it just it's 
it gives you more of like information of what has happened to her and why she is so scared. It's, like, on it's top really of effective. Else. I yeah. love the way that scene looks when she's like walking on the watery surface, but it's all pitch oh. black and you're, yes. she's walking towards really that guy cool. who's talking. That is that is gorgeous imagery and it is so effective. I love that. That part alone would make me love this episode. Oh man, it, that is that is definitely I think one of the major high points that this episode offers. Mm-hmm. Um, and I I really love how it not only like those scenes but how it juxtaposes with what's happening in reality and i that's been happening throughout the show where something will be happening to Elle and she'll have these flashbacks and they always are relevant with what she's dealing with in the moment but it sort of feels like those moments are getting like there's almost it's almost like that line between her past and her present are blurring because scenes are becoming like more and more relevant to what they're going through and uh i think it's really cool how they stage it's really kind of a heart-wrenching you know set piece where she ends up injuring the one friend who doubts her the most i actually was really annoyed by that are you serious i saw it coming a mile away oh like it's that i mean does that take away its effectiveness though necessarily i mean it does it's kind of a trope but this whole show's tropes it does for me personally because specifically because like I said at the beginning of this, I'm annoyed by Lucas at this point. Like he's he's just irritating to me mostly. Um, and so like I saw his fight coming with Mike. I saw what was going to happen and Eleven freaking out and hurting him like that all seemed like it was OK. This is how this is going to play out. I wonder how they're going to get back together. Can we hurry up and skip to the part where they get back together? Because I know what's going to happen here. See, I feel like what I would have expected most would have been for Eleven to save Lucas and for Lucas to be won over in that regard in some way. Um, really? Like, like, not in that scene particularly, oh, oh, okay. but in, in general for Arc, like, the gotcha. person who doubts her most, like, he, he gives her saved. trust because right. she has to go above and beyond to earn yeah. it, or he sure. sees the value in her because it saves him. <laughs> it would be nice for him to like see that. the value in her at some point in yeah. the show. <laughs> and that, that's sort of what I expected to happen, but the fact that she ends up digging her own grave, you know, yeah, it sort of feels predictable in some ways, but it was not the most predictable thing to happen and I thought it was really satisfying especially since just the dynamics of the characters and how they play out on screen I really enjoy I I would say um I don't disagree with what you say except for the it being the most predictable thing to me it was the most predictable thing but um all the dynamics work they're all functional it's just it's I don't care honestly like the actors are doing a good job like the, it's this is the place in the story where this thing should happen like the kids need to be separated for a little while so they can get back together and be stronger than before that's just the way that this kind of works but to me it did feel very rote it felt like this is the this is the way this always seems to happen or in these types of stories there's some kind of thing and the person who's not being trusted makes it even worse and i don't know like I think if I was, if I liked Lucas better, like if I saw more of where he was coming from, um, or if I, I maybe believe that maybe he was right, it would work. Uh, but just, just because I don't, uh, and he just seems like he's, because I have greater knowledge than he does, he seems like he's just being a jerk. Like it's just, it irritates me. So, I mean, I agree with the both of you guys. I think like it was super predictable. It was like as soon as they got to, I guess, that little junkyard, I was like, they're going to get in a fight. And he's gonna, Lucas is gonna like, they're him and Mike are gonna start fighting, and Elle's gonna defend Mike because Mike has been the one defending her the whole time. Yeah, they definitely have and the strongest so, connection. Yeah, they have, yeah, exactly. They have the strongest connection. But I was like, but I still, it still felt real, even though yeah. like the, the writing is very 
standard, I guess, as far as like, okay, this scene is happening the exact way I would think that it would. And I was expecting it to happen. Um, but it doesn't take away the effectiveness. I'd more me. or less agree. I mean, it, it does what I mean, it needs I, to. I think that's a pretty good, yeah, analogy. So last, I guess it's the last scene or two. So start out with like the broke, the deadish deer. Well, I mean, and I th- then the entry into the upside down. I, mean, I think I'd, we've skipped over a lot of what happened with Hopper in this episode too. Oh we yeah, did. we I did. Mean, well, not I too mean, much. Not, we could cover yeah. it pretty well, quick. I, mean, he, he, I like it. I like it all. Like, yeah, the, I like the, it. The, as the well. developments that are happening here are good. They're just they feel very similar to what we've seen before. It's more like okay, his his past is influencing why he's doing this. Um, you know, he's getting more information, and you know, still de- super dedicated to doing this. I do like at the end where he comes and talks to um, the mom, but you know, it doesn't seem like a lot moves forward really. There, it, the, he, the phone I call I felt like of, was really powerful. It was very, did, powerful. Yeah, very exactly. simple, but very powerful. Agreed. Yeah, yeah. I I agree. Like I I like all the scenes with him, um, and the staging and how he reacts to the staging of him waking up back in his in his trailer and how he tears apart everything to find the although i will say that at least maybe there's more information later but i don't understand why they didn't just kill him like that seems like the question. most most reasonable <laughs> thing <laughs> no, to do that, that that is a very good question there's no i i don't and there's no answer yet yeah i mean presumably there might I mean, be i don't later, i don't see but I, right I, now i don't see any answers <laughs> to why he they don't kill him right, right now there. It, maybe unless they we're worried about possibly him like having told somebody, Hey, I'm going here. Um, if anything happens to me, a mystery can arouse a lot of like fun questions while you're along for the ride, but can also arouse a lot of irritating ones. And exactly. at this point in the story, I feel like this was a little bit of an irritating question. It wasn't super bad, it feel- but, but it is one of the things that makes me go like, huh? As opposed to, yeah. Hmm. Yeah. It you feels know, like-, like bad writing. There might be a good explanation for it later, but this trope, if there is not a good explanation, there it is definitely bad writing. There's no reason that these people would not kill him. I'm so excited to talk about the last scene, though. Can we please just go? Yeah, ahead and get no. I, it's, yeah, yeah. I, right, so I, start out with the deer. Yeah, yeah. The deer, I love that scene. That part. I like what they're doing with it. I don't like that their immediate conclusion is a car hit it because there doesn't seem to be anywhere near a road, and this deer is messed up. The most reasonable assumption to make if you're out in the woods and there is a messed up deer is that there is a wild predator somewhere near you. And it might be getting ready to eat you. There's I mean, so little I, I can say to that. I would say I don't give a shit if we can't see the road because it could. There could be like a dirt road nearby that just doesn't look like a heavy traffic road. And I think, you know, like a driveway when you're out in the boonies that goes on for forever. Yeah, or and you, to do the damage to this car that, that that is or damage this deer that's done, you need to be not driving the speed you would go along a driveway. Oh, that's you need not to be true. doing a lot more. That's no. not true at all. Cars are two tons. Okay, they, they can do a lot of damage going kind of slow if you're standing still. Okay. As a deer would. I don't know how fast you go up driveways then. <laughs> it, I mean, I, well, I'm no, I not think, a car scientist, but they, <laughs> my understanding is through. you don't even have to be going more than like 30 miles an hour to do that type of damage to an animal or a living person. The mo- the biggest problem for me is that this deer does not look to be in the shape to dr- to walk a, even an inch. Like this deer is, to my mind, what I'm seeing here, this is a deer where it it's where it fell. Like whatever happened to it, this is where it happened. And whatever did this is definitely still nearby that's the immediate thought that i saw on seeing this i was sure the demogorgon thing was going to pop out of nowhere and attack them if not an actual wild animal that was also a possibility in my mind i 
Well, they they are they are sure whatever. They are I, it doesn't bother me at all whether that would be an appropriate or an inappropriate response because because it's such a small piece of what's happening. You know what yeah. I mean? Like the fact that a car hit it is not the big deal. How it got injured is not the big deal. Even with later information we're going to get, it's not. What is the big deal to you? you you're the big deal to me is how it sets up the scene. And it sets up this tense moment where it's a callback to earlier with how Jonathan was going to kill this rabbit as a kid and he didn't want to and he cried for a week. And here is a situation where they have pity on an animal and he has to take life again uh, to save it in a lot of ways. And I just found, even though that's a really tangential little sub story, I found it very effective. And it led to the Demogorgon taking it, obviously. <laughs> but, I mean, I guess for me, like it might, if it plays into something that happens with him later, I will agree. But right now, and it may just be that I'm, I'm not the most empathetic person. I've gone hunting. I, I've killed animals. It does not bother me. Like it's not a thing that I get emotional about. And I honestly, I don't really understand why some people do it. I, and like, I mean that on a, uh, I get it on a logical level. I just don't get it, feel it on an emotional level. Um, and that's clear what this is. That's what they're trying to evoke here with this character. And they're trying to make him look like a good guy because of it. And that's fine. It, it works all right for that. It's just, to me, all that emotional stuff is distraction so that when we get the jump scare of it getting pulled away, we're like, oh God, what's going on? It, well, it's not a, it's not a really defining character moment. I, I don't think that, I don't think the defining character moment is the fact that, oh, he is sensitive and anything like that. It's like, no, um, like he, when he was six, his dad made him go out and kill a rabbit and he didn't want to. And like, it, it really did affect him on a very strong emotional level. And like, she's like, oh, okay, well I'll do it. It's like, no, no, I'm older now. Like just showing that he has had growth and that he is willing to do what it takes. I would agree if he actually shot it, but he, I don't think does like <laughs> he, he kind of just sits there and hesitates for a long time. And then the jump scare happens. Like if he, you know, if he hesitated for a second well, and then was, you know, but I think sure but about I, but, it, that would tell that I would agree with that. But well, in response to like what you said, uh, you're not, you're not no. emotional when it's, you know, killing an animal mm -hmm. uh, because you've been hunting. Like, there is also a difference between shooting an animal that is still alive, like, you know, going out hunting and then stumbling across an animal and having to shoot it in the head point blank range. And so and even if never having like really done it before, that that's a very strong like just okay, I have to kill this thing. It requires a completely different, you mindset. know, like mental approach to what you're about to do. Especially you know what I mean? Like I would, if you're hunting like I mean, you are shooting to kill, but this is a mercy killing. They're watching and it's either leave it or you know mercy kill it which right. is something he doesn't want to do that's the crux of it it's not about whether or not he values animal lives it's about that he values not letting things suffer around him and, and i think that's what makes it effective and to me it would be very effective if he shot it but because he's sitting there hesitating it tells me oh he hasn't actually grown up he's not that different from that kid that he was he's not i don't even know if he actually was going to end up shooting it like to me I but it leads to such a powerful crucial and plot holeless moment oh <laughs> i mean that is so yeah. you know effective yeah i <laughs> i mean it I, is absolutely ridiculous it is 100 100 i'm so glad that we're on the same page again <laughs> finally it took a whole episode <laughs> no like it's insane that she's getting into this tree and 
Like I don't, I don't get that at all. How, I needed to hear not hear each other. How are they yeah. so far apart? Right, like, like that's insane. There's no reason there's for any no of reason. that. Like yeah. it is very poorly staged. It is very poorly set up. It makes no sense for her to get in there. It's literally just okay. We need her to get swallowed into this thing, and we need him to not be. So let's make up a thing that and pretend it works. Like, and just awful. I'm like, not trying I, to open a can of worms again, but that that is kind of how I feel about a lot of scenes in this episode. I feel like this episode was structured to get us from point A to point B as opposed to having an experience the way the previous episodes were. That's my general takeaway. And this scene to me is the most egregious example for exactly what you've pointed out. I know you don't agree on the previous yeah. things and we've talked about that, but she yeah she should not go in that tree yeah. she should do other things she should there's no reason jonathan should not be able to hear her it's clearly like staged for the visual story all i needed is from okay this is the way that they could have done that and i think it would have worked perfectly if they're standing on the side of the tree where like both of them are standing on the side of the tree where the opening is correct right and they're kind of in that general direction if we hear will from within that tree like his voice then it would make perfect sense for her to kind of poke her head in and it would also make perfect sense for him to run away and like think he's running in the direction of his brother because he just heard it from that direction but it's actually coming from in the tree not from out in the woods so he runs past the tree you know goes off in that direction she hears it more clearly and starts to crawl into the thing where will is but maybe there's reasons that will can't be right there at that moment so yeah, i don't maybe. know binge what do you think i feel like i've interrupted you three times <laughs> well, <laughs> well i think I think it works, but it is so just like, oh my goodness, you're making like of all the things that they've done in this show up to this point, they have done them very well. But this one's just like a very like trope, very tropey in a horror movie, yeah, creature movie kind of sense. It's like, oh, let me just crawl into exactly where it's at. But I mean, they did come out to the woods with the intent of rescuing Barb and Will or finding Barb and Will and then possibly killing the Demogorgon if they had to. Which her going into the tree makes sense for that. Um, not calling and getting Jonathan to be there with her is well. She wrong. does call, but but, but not but for wait. some reason he's nowhere near he's there. Not, he's not close <laughs> like enough to hear, <laughs> which is ridiculous. Um, or her not waiting for him to show up. Um, and then on top of that, if you're going to go into the tree, this thing that is obviously not normal, why would you leave your backpack? And the baseball bat. <laughs> I didn't even think about that. She left the. She <laughs> left her. She, she left, left her, her weapon. weapon. She left her weapon. Did she not? Yeah, she didn't have the she, gun either. Well, it's yeah, dangerous because, to go alone. Jonathan, exactly. That's it. You don't. You, don't, you never split the party. Uh, yeah. Apparently, Nancy doesn't know that. You never split the party. I just. I like. I wouldn't, as a guy, go into something that gross and sticky and clearly wet and like just looks really? like moist, in wet <laughs> meat in there hanging. And I, I can't imagine that a girl like like her specifically, like there's definitely girls that wouldn't be bothered by that kind of thing. But she does not seem to be that type to me. Well, Nance is pretty tough. She, I'm not saying she's not tough. I'm, I'm saying, saying that she is right. Bit. Exactly. I, mean, <laughs> I, I just want to be very clear. I'm not saying that she's not tough. I'm not saying that it is impossible that she would do it. You know, I just need a stronger it? motivation for it Barb. to happen. Barb would have done it. Yeah. Barb's tough. Barb is like no. Actually, I feel like Barb would have like looked at it and then immediately like poured Purell on her hands and washed them and be like, "No, this is stupid." I'm she leaving. Just left. <laughs> exactly. This is the dumbest thing I've ever seen. I'm anyway, leaving. we've gone really long, so yeah, we should probably go to the next episode. Yeah. 
place of decay and death. Well, how much further? I don't know. He's only told direction, not distance. Do you think she's acting weird? You're asking if the weirdo is acting weird. Although if I feel like I, they kind of have to. <laughs> if I never see another love triangle in all of fiction ever again, I will be perfectly freaking happy. With that said, we uh, just watched episode six. <laughs> I think of all the episodes, this is the episode that goes from suck to rock hardest. <laughs> yeah. Because it's legitimately kind of bad at first. <laughs> It's, I mean, it's, I, I, hey, I'm with you, dude. I really hate Forced that they really yeah. went there at the love triangle. And I was trying to be reserved in the last episode. But even without seeing this episode, I, I saw it coming and I did not like it. And in this episode, it happens and it's, it's, it's awful. Like, it does not feel like the right move. It isn't. It's, it's almost never the right move. Like, the forced love triangles just, they feel like drama for drama's sake every single time. And it's just frustrating as hell. Especially, like, if it was a genuine love triangle where the character was kind of flip-flopping between these two, fine. Between two, that, like, prospects as opposed to you are already in a committed relationship. Exactly. And because of circumstances, you go with someone else. Yeah, I hate this trope of like oh i saw something but it didn't actually mean what it looks like it means from my perspective i just i cannot stand that trope oh what steve goes through yeah yeah, yeah i don't the, like it either especially since i was just starting to like steve right? and even though it's like i forgive him for feeling this way but i've seen too many people feel this way before exactly. there's nothing fresh yeah. about it this time there's nothing fresh and it wasn't that good the first freaking time i saw it i'm usually just like i i was fed up with this trope the first time i saw it and this is far from the first time I've seen it so no I, that that is the biggest misstep this story has taken as far as I'm concerned so far yeah I, I agree completely like throughout the entire season I was just like up and I was like okay well I can't I don't like Steve because he's the quintessential like terrible boyfriend for any girl in any horror movie ever and it's like oh well it seems like he really does care it's not just about him getting with Nancy and then it turns and it's like oh well he's kind of a douche anyway though and it's like up and down up and down it's just like oh no I mean even what he does in this episode is pretty understandable from his perspective <laughs> it's just I'm not faulting Steve the character at this point I'm faulting the writers who wrote these this trope into the story it like, just makes uh, me frustrated because like I'm not I don't find the drama compelling because of that and it's like it's an easy trap to fall into because I feel like as writers, you know, your your biggest, you know, goal is to find conflict. And in, you know, this has a negative context, but your goal is to kind of exploit that yeah. conflict as best as you can. Absolutely. In a way that's as fresh as possible and in a way that's compelling to see how things turn out. But this just, this doesn't feel make me feel like I'm endeared to any of the characters. I just feel like sucky for them. And I don't like it because no one gets to win in this scenario, you know? And there's a way to stage scenarios where no one wins, but when you're getting into cliche and trope material, that, that gets a little more tricky because then it you know, starts to borderline on too familiar. Having said that, I, I like some moments and I like some little bits about yeah. like that first scene. Um, like when uh, they say like, I don't, that line, I don't want to be alone. And uh, 
when Jonathan tries to comfort her and says like, you know, it, it can't get us in here. And she responds, we don't know that. Like th- those are that very one, real things for one, them to say with what has happened. The second one I like a lot. The, the first one I don't like just because it's, it's more of this love stupid triangles. love triangle bull yeah. crap. Like I, the, I didn't, I didn't get that from that line, but I get it from like them getting in bed together and holding hands. But honestly, like if I went through that same day, I wouldn't want to be alone, you know, like sexual tension or no, I just don't want to be by right. myself. Right. Yeah. You know what I mean? And then no, and, I, I like the setup of that where he like gets the sleeping bag out of it and like out of the closet or whatever yeah. and then lays it down on the ground. Yeah. Like that shows that he's not. I, if he, he, that's not his goal. If he had lay, stayed there, I would have been perfectly fine. I just, I, there's no part of the love triangle. Like anything that is Rick, attached to the love triangle is going to be tainted for me Rick, as far as enjoyment. With you in high school, if a girl said, hey, I don't want to be alone tonight. Would you please, as opposed to sleeping on, on a, in a sleeping bag on my floor or, you know, climbing Again, in. No, like okay. I don't if think anyone's faulting John. No, if, no, if that exactly. happened in high school, I would get into the bed, and that's about the point where I would wake up and realize that this was a dream. <laughs> um, but no, like it, I'm not faulting the characters. I'm, I'm really not faulting either of the characters. Mm-hmm. Again, this is on the writers to me. This is bad mm-hmm. love triangle material, and I it's just a huge misstep in my mind. I yeah. I don't care any time a love triangle shows up. Like it is the quickest way for me to just completely shut down. In counterpoint, I feel like Dustin had a great episode. Oh man! Oh yeah, I Dustin is Dustin. the he's the real MVP. <laughs> Seriously, like he has a awesome, awesome episode. Like everything he does in this episode is amazing. I love Dustin after this episode. Oh man, just the fact. I mean, just almost every single thing he says is the next best thing that's happened in this episode. <laughs> and it's awesome. I, I love Dustin as like, if I met Dustin in real life, like in high school, I would want to be his best friend more than probably anyone else. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like he yeah. just seems well, he has like the coolest an- and most endearing of the kid characters at this point. He me. has the mm-hmm. most accurate picture of all of his friends right now. Like he, he understands exactly why they're in the conflict that they are. He sees the entire thing perfectly and he is able to step outside of himself and say like, look, you two are best friends. You need to make this up because it's shitty that you two are not being friends right now. Do you even remember what happened on the Bloodstone we all got separated and then we're all killed by ogres and it was stupid yeah exactly like he just i like it when there's a character who can point to the situation and be like hey this is why you're being dumb and hey you this is why you're being dumb stop it because that's where i am as as the audience and Mm -hmm. yeah it just it feel it felt so good to see that especially coming from him because he's just been mostly the dopey character to have him suddenly pull out this moment and just be the heart of the team is just awesome you're all acting like goblins with an intelligence score of zero (laughs) Zero. and then Uh, things got really weird (laughs) i mean the fact that he ties this all to this dungeons and dragons campaign that they're playing and means those statements sincerely not as comedic bits is what makes them both amazing character moments and great comedic bits right yeah yeah Yeah, like like normally whenever there's a character that points out things that the audience is thinking like it always to me it seems fake like an audience surrogate is that what you mean exactly like it seems fake or it seems kind of forced but with his character it seems like real and like something that he like not only that character but a person in that situation would do 
and I, I enjoy like the realness of that character yeah. as opposed to sometimes when there's a character like that, that they're kind of bland and don't really have anything else other than they're supposed to be the voice for the audience. Right. Yeah, I agree. I also feel like Eleven had a pretty strong episode. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. I, all of her moments, I feel like are really great, even though she doesn't really have like a high point, high point until the end. Okay. Which is great. But, <laughs> yeah. but the everything else. Like Mike had a high point. Am I right? <laughs> oh, get it? Yeah. It's a very tall place. It's a cliff. And he's flying. Yes. <laughs> but no, like, yeah, I, I'd mostly agree. I, there's. There's a lot of endearing moments to her because she's so pitiful for a lot of this episode, but at the mm-hmm. same time, she is also badass, and it's very strange to see someone who is pitiful also be super badass, but it works really well for her. Well, the um, pitiful moments, like, they're they're framed and shot and acted in a way that's just so harrowing to watch. Like, it's one thing to just see her covered in dirt wake up in the middle of the forest. It's another thing to see her look at her own reflection in the water. Then she sort of tears off half of her costume, being that terrible wig, and then looks at herself for who she really is. And you could see that she's legitimately, like, angry with herself. And, I mean, I gotta throw out a some kudos to Millie Bobby Brown. Like, mm-hmm. she is a phenomenal actress. She is killing it. That is the most adorable name I've ever heard in my life. Yeah. <laughs> that is her name, right? Yeah, Millie yeah, Bobby yeah. Brown. Yeah. Oh my gosh, name. that's actually her name, Millie Bobby Brown. <laughs> yeah, I think so. That's wonderful. <laughs> um, but like, I mean, seriously, she has the acting chops that surpass most adult. No, yeah, she is legit. Like, I I love every moment she's on screen. She is nailing it. Anyone who can sell an emotion and completely, like, get us to understand where a character is at using less than, like, five words, sometimes no words, I mean, that's Emmy material right there. I'm just going to go ahead and throw that out there. (laughs) Yeah. If I had any respect for the Emmys, I would agree, but... (laughs) I have a little respect for the Emmys. I think that they will reward Stranger Things very, very heftily. I I hope they do. They better. Um, (laughs) But, like, yeah, she has a lot of great moments. I mean, the scene in the grocery store and its juxtaposed cuts with her past, I think, are absolutely masterful um i mean the awesome ego little easter egg that's just constantly mm-hmm. popping up yeah. aside that <laughs> she just loves waffles for some reason eggos Egg- well, I mean, easter eggos popping up nice yes <laughs> <laughs> you become like me i welcome the apprentice has surpassed the master well you're Puns. still the one that's yeah <laughs> our fun <laughs> Oh, no. um, but yeah, like, I, I mean, broke right. it, it, everything me, she's she's done in this episode, I think, is amazing. I did feel kind of bad for the guy when, like, she slams the door on his face. But it was awesome. Yeah, oh, it, was, it, so it awesome. was cool. But it's just like he was showing genuine concern and doing the right thing. And I felt bad for him. Like, if he'd been like being a jerk about it, I mean, sure. Be from the beginning, I would have been I would have felt bad. But, sure. Yeah. But I mean, the point is that, like, she's, you know, sort of grown in bit in bit in bit embittered. Thank you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> She's grown yes, embittered that is, to... That is the word Im- Wow. What the... Embittered. Embittered? Okay. Embittered. Do you smell toast? I did embittered. Is your arm numb? <laughs> I just, that's, a, that's a hard word to... Finch, can you say it? 
Embittered? Shut up. <laughs> ben, speak. Ben, shut up. <laughs> Story of my life. <laughs> I don't like what you said. <laughs> to prevent us from getting too far ahead, uh, if we could bring it back to Jonathan and Nancy, I thought another cool moment was them purchasing weapons at the store. Yeah, oh, so that was by a horrible moment, but I, I really like the moment of them in the store. It's sort of low-key. It, it feels like the setup to... like an older like you know an high school 80s monster movie, movie yeah or, or an 80s horror movie where mm-hmm. with teens where they're having to go you know track down Gear the killer up. or the monster you know it feels mm-hmm. like kind of classic in right. a way mm-hmm. I, it, I, i'm reminded of like lost boys a little bit and I, I like it i liked it a lot i i did wonder uh, in the moment like where they were getting the money to pay for all this but i mean maybe they have jobs on the side well jonathan like we know jonathan does work like it shows that he is yeah but i mean at that's the same why time, he was like, at home he he also like i get the and this isn't something that's been said in the show but i get the impression he and his mom do not make a ton of money so i would think that would mm-hmm. mostly be going they have gone out of their way of to say that like you know he says in the first episode i thought we could use the extra cash when yeah. he picks up an extra shift mm-hmm. uh having said that i feel like i mean it's, know, a, it's, it's a super nitpicky it's a thing. very nitpicky thing but i i you know uh i think it's cool that they actually say they're going monster hunting too mm-hmm. yeah because if they were like squirrels i'd have been like yeah I, okay yeah i've heard that joke before i mean but the fact be fair, they just I've say heard, i've heard we're hunting hun- monsters <laughs> i've heard monster hunting before is the answer in this situation but i like it here like it, it, it's a fun trip it's pretty charming i, I would have accepted squirrels just as easily honestly yeah. <laughs> um but then it's followed up by a uh pretty I, was, aw- I didn't like this next scene at all really i mean i don't like it because it's again attached to the love triangle but i was surprised to see uh who won this fight like that mm-hmm. was that jonathan was very, yeah i was expect i was not expecting that that if the opposite know. have happened i would i would be a lot more animated about it yeah uh, I, mean, <laughs> I, I think it'd be pretty I think, horrible i think they made the correct moves here as far as the story but again love triangles are dumb and like if like they're them. gonna do well, it you think this is the way to do it yeah mostly i really don't like that steve goes full like full a you blame your whole family you know and your uh, presumably dead I, little brother you know like I, he doesn't believe that but to me the show's trying to get us more sympathetic to steve and yes like so, i want him to be mad if this is how the situation is going to play out he should be angry and i want him to you know unleash that in some way but this is a step too far this makes it really hard for me to come back in any capacity see i i'm not there with you on that i'm much more hard on him about the the spray paint like that's mm-hmm. that's the much bigger deal to me i completely it's also awful i completely understand him say like if if i found out that my wife was cheating on me with some guy especially a guy that i didn't like or respect at all i would go full force unleash every like horrible thing i could think to say to that person like i get that completely but but him and the this is my impression i don't know that this is true or if it's ever collaborated but i'm getting the impression like that he went back into that car told shit friends uh what what happened and they encouraged this whole uh spray painting thing on their own i doubt it was ever his idea he doesn't seem that into it when it's happening he mm. just seems to be sitting there watching it make like letting it happen because it, he wants he he's angry about it exactly and i i get that completely like the the it is over the line for him to be saying the things that he's saying, but I can't hold that against him in any like well, honesty. I can. I mean, I, I do hold person. it against I'm him, <laughs> but I think a lot of the things that he was saying, both to Nancy and to Jonathan, are things that we are things that are mirrored from other characters in the show. Yeah. Throughout like the entire show, like we see the bullies kind of say the same thing um, to uh, Mike and Dustin and Lucas, but we also see um, the boy 
boyfriend and girlfriend, like his his two friends, kind of say the same things about uh, Jonathan. And oh, I'm not surprised what happened to him. like. Right. Yeah. We hear these things, and he's basically mimicking um, some of the reactions because he's numb because he thinks that you know yeah. his girlfriend that he has feelings for is cheating on him with the weird kid. Yeah. And so he's still stuck on the fact that. Uh, he's the he's the weird kid and like why would she have any interest in him yeah exactly and like i can i can see i can see where he's coming from but i don't like it it's it just seems too just generic to me again but yeah that's why i put this on the writers and not on the characters yeah but of the scene though what i like what they did with it is that nancy was defending herself yeah. It wasn't like, oh, Jonathan immediately stepped in and said, I'm going to be the big, yeah, big it, bad guy it, defending you. It he was letting Nancy defend herself against um, what Steve, Steve saying, and yeah. the, the his friends. But then Why as soon that as that guy had been the one that was getting punched in the face. I know. Oh. I know. I hate it's those two very characters. punchable like it's, that. Face, it is the like, most punchable face I've ever seen. I want both the boy and the girl to get just the shit wrecked out of them. Just yeah, so bad. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, they're, they're both like. Horrible. I would not really feel that bad at all if something horrible happened to them in this show. No, <laughs> like I'd be cheering it on. Having yeah. said all of this, like I sort of like where this ends up going from here, but I feel like the setup could have been better. You know, mm. like th- just to me, it's a bunch of little choices. It's exactly like, you know, how they respond to learning about this situation. It's it's how what the word choices Steve uses. It's the fact that instead of of nancy like stammering for an answer that she can't find she just like gets sort of silent when steve like you know pushes her on it it's a bunch of very little moments which this is sort of what i would say is not on the amazing side of good directing i would say it's sort of more on the poor side because those little choices those little moments are what communicate who characters really are and it really flushes out your story effectively and that's a big reason why this scene's not sellable to me i mean i don't agree because the only thing that she would be doing if she was stammering it would tell me that she was attempting to lie about the situation the fact that she's not stammering about it tells me that she the only thing that she could think to say is well, there was a monster that we ran into while we were looking for his little brother, and she can't say that because it sounds literally crazy. But here's the thing. She knows that. Yeah, like, that's obviously, like, that's square one. That's the foundation for this whole thing. But that doesn't mean she can't want to explain it to him. But in the middle of doing so, know that it, she can't because it will sound crazy. I, I so get- being silent to me, that doesn't communicate that at all. What that communicates to me is either apathy or resoluteness. It's either, all right, well, this is going to be what it's going to be, or it's going to be, I don't care how this turns out. I, and mean, I think I'm that's a the, really I'm poor the, character I'm choice. I'm on the exact opposite side of yeah, that. Yeah, I think it's the opposite. I think she is shocked about how quickly he went from like the day before like probably less than 12 hours before like you know wanting to like mend fences and spend some time with her and get her um back to like get her mind off of everything that's going on to i hate you you're a you're a slut and i don't want to be with you why would you choose somebody else and like i think she's just in shock like she doesn't know the first exchanges i would totally agree with that i don't but then she learned then she clarifies Oh, you saw you came by my house last night. At that point, she communicates that she is on the same that she understands like why he's this way. She's no longer really has a point to be in shock, but she could still be in sort of bewilderment because she doesn't mm-hmm. know what the appropriate response is going to be because she knows how crazy it is, but she also knows that See, she 
Uh, I mean, in this, a way, she did do something wrong, too. I mean, she's to, totally, like, flirting with Jonathan. <laughs> fair. But, so uh, uh, me, that's also a factor. To me, it's it's that she's she's too smart of a character to be stammering this. Like, I see that from a character that's uh, nervous. Everyone or, stammers. I see that from that type of thing from a character who's nervous or from a character who's uncertain, but Nancy is not that character. She's also not a good liar. She doesn't seem to attempt to be a liar throughout the series. And so what I get from her being silent is that she's already jumped to the conclusion, okay, there's nothing I can say in this situation that will make it work there's nothing i can do like stammering would not make it better for me that would make her character appear weaker to me to me it would make her character seem much more realistic and endearing because i feel like that's what anyone would do smart or no anxious or no i mean liar or no because she's not really any of those things i don't agree so i mean that's where we are for a lot of things (laughs) yeah so uh just to move on then um the only thing I like about that scene is uh, Tall Rick Moranis getting hit. Oh yeah, that was <laughs> yeah. hilarious. That was good. Hey, really what's going on here? Oh my nose! <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was that was good. Um, the only other note I have is actually the final scene. So before that, is there anything you guys wanted to talk about? I mean, there's no? some there's some little of bits of Topper, yeah. but nothing like really yeah. super significant. I okay, mean, so let's jump wait, to well, the no, no, wait. There is there is the whole thing. Okay, this is one big note for me. I'm really mad at them for the direction choice of when they're talking about Eleven, uh, when they find her mom, and they're oh, talking that about big her. one. That's true. When they're talking about her mom, or her, when her they're explaining she had telepathy, and it cuts to her slamming you know someone against a wall and all that, like intercutting that with things that we've already seen Eleven do. That is 100 percent unnecessary like it's that's a heavy-handed ham-fisted way to do that duh she's talking about 11 come on like there's no reason anyone like there's no reason not to expect your audience at this stage to be uh to not not smart enough exactly like it's just a complete lack of faith in your audience to do it that way um and it, it really really bothered me i hated that moment that's probably my least favorite moment of the entire series so far i I don't know. I, I see what wise. you're saying. Direction wise, not my least favorite moment of the whole thing so far is this beginning love triangle bullcrap. But I see what you're yeah. saying. Um, I didn't have nearly as negative reaction to it. I had a generally positive one, but I also feel like it is a little redundant information wise in terms of like plot structure. It's in hindsight, it's like, oh, well, yeah, it's obvious. But in the moment, you know, I'm sort of enraptured by like the emotions and the revelations going through these characters which to be also fair isn't a super huge moment because they've never met 11 yeah but it's it's sort of cool in like a i don't know it sort of bookends like that mystery a little bit because 11 is much less mysterious after that yeah. And that that I think is kind of cool from the audience perspective. No, yeah, I think but, the the things that they were attempting to communicate in this are good. But the thing is that like the way that they've chosen to communicate that thing is piss poor. Like it is just. I wouldn't it, say it's piss it's, poor. It's freaking awful. Like I hate it. I absolutely hate it. I hate that like, how heavy handed and ham fisted it is. It's just very, very, very slam it in your face. Like, hey, get it? It's eleven. There she's talking about eleven. Can can you tell she's talking about eleven? And in a show that has been so freaking subtle and so uh reliant on its audience to put things together so often in this, it's just it stands out like a sore thumb to me. Would you say it's on the level of Fast and Furious bad for you, though? Yes. Oh, wow. Okay, wow. I didn't expect it's you to say that. It's infuriating to me. Wow. Like, I, I, I find really that incredible. It. Like, it's just, it's so different from the, re- like, if you told me someone else directed that moment, I would believe you. Like, if you said that the guy who does Fast and Furious directed that moment, I'd be like, oh, okay, yeah, got it, cool. It just, it's very, it's very strange with how 
uh, subtle and and intelligent they've expected their audience to be so far to to do it this way. I think that it may have been more successful if it was new footage, but like cut together the same way. I agree with that. Yes. Like it, using old footage is what makes it feel redundant. I agree. But using even the intercutting moments to communicate, hey, this is about 11, I think would have been more effective if they had more material. I agree. I think that it would have actually been better if they kind of intercut that scene and the next scene with, or I think it's the next scene with Dustin and Mike. Oh, man, that would have been so good. That would have had exactly the kind of feel that I think they, they were going for. Because they try, it felt to me like they were trying to make this this triumphant thing, but because they were using old footage that was of some, frankly, very dark moments in 11's life. Come, no, I totally got like a terror vibe, not a triumph. <laughs> what would Try, be triumphant about it even on the face of exactly it. that's why that's why it felt so tonally dissonant to me like it was not like the way that they're intercutting that that should be like this like hey isn't this super cool that this girl has telepathy and telekinesis like that's how you cut that if you're trying to hit that point but because they clearly were not trying to hit that point it did not work for me i I've been on board for most of it. I'm completely like, I don't understand okay. how you got there because they're it doing this totally because, not triumphant because and not even attempted to be triumphant. The, okay. If you're doing this slam cut to these really cool things that this kid is doing while you're slamming it together with this statement of these powers she has, that to me communicates you want this to be this super cool thing, but because it's this really horrific thing instead it feels jarring to me rather than, you know, something I it, cool. I think and that if, was the goal. And if they had cut it together, like Ben said, with the, um, not jarring in a good way, jarring in a, this isn't hitting the tone that you're attempting to elicit out of here with this type of thing. Think, but if they had done this, done that the way that Ben just saying by having them miss see, I don't agree with that while either. she was doing this awesome thing, I no, it would have worked much better for me. The, the only thing, reason why I really don't think they should have done that is because that scene as is, is already like immaculate to me. Oh, I, I wouldn't want to touch it. No, I agree. So, but yeah. I mean, if you're going to reuse footage, I would much rather you be reusing footage to Something say in the this present. is cool. Like, because again, this this to me, the way that they were doing it is there is the way that you would do this if you're trying to say it's super cool. I I just I, I don't, don't get that. I don't think they're trying to say anything is super cool about it. I think I know <laughs> that's the point. They did it in a way that does not communicate that. But the thing that they did, the techniques that they used, are ones that would normally, in my mind, be used to say this is super cool. Does that make I sense? I don't. Um, I just they misusing the techniques. I I, no, dis I, that I slightly does not make disagree sense. with that. I think their intent was a not it's like it's the more end of a thriller where you learn they, who the killer is it's not supposed to be cool the big reveal. it's supposed to be kind of like in a way terrifying but also like satisfying because the mystery is resolved it's not but, a mystery but, though well, like it's blatantly it is, obvious no but it is it is a mystery to i mean they don't know what's going on as far as 11 but hopper and joyce it's a it's somewhat of a reveal to them and saying like uh, oh well it, 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 it was is a, a mystery because we didn't know exactly where 11 came from before this moment no one in the the but narrative really had that perspective no to cling to, question, but the though. audience does. I the audience does, and that's the point of how they cut that scene. I, I'm not. I'm not trying like, to defend that's... it too much because, again, I'm kind of lukewarm on it. But I, I disagree that it's because of the techniques used. Because to me, the point of the technique is very clear, and that does work. To me, it's the redundancy that makes it. It's, off. I don't understand why you're calling this a mystery. There's never been a question of where Eleven came from. Like, she came from this institute. That guy is her dad. Like, or at least she thinks that. And that's enough explanation for me. It's never been a, like, where did they that get That guy her? is not her dad. But she's constantly calling him Papa. And so yes. I've, I've assumed for this whole time, like, she may, he might not be. 
that's not interesting. That's not an interesting twist that way. Like the way that they presented this, it's not it's not a new twist to me. It's just, okay, that's the guy she calls dad now. Okay, whatever. That's new information, but it's not the answer to a question I've been having this entire series. I mean, it doesn't have to be a question I've had the entire series for, for it to, to still be, mystery, be interesting it does. to me. Yeah, well, it is a mystery to me because I don't know why Eleven was chosen for this. I don't know, you know, is she actually his biological daughter? Those things, they're little like mysteries. how did she get they're the little powers? things in the back of my from? mind. It's not the focus of the show where she came from, but it's fun. It's, it's, and, it's like lore development it's more backstory it is backstory but it should not be treated as a reveal in my opinion well i it's more i can under it, i can understand that i i i don't i wouldn't fight that like i wouldn't be like don't do this movies but i can understand why you might feel that way that I makes mean, sense to me it's it's a reveal to hopper and joyce as far as the person that they've been tracking down and that they've been following, or that at least Hopper has been following leads on, is actually the girl and not Will at all. Yeah, it's more of a reveal true. for that, but the, for the characters. But, the but us as an audience, it doesn't work. And yeah, I agree and with the, you on that. Is and that, the cuts are not definitely not serving that. Like that, yeah, exactly. that isn't, uh, isn't serving that at all. Because they don't know that that has happened. It's exactly. Just, I, it's just a call back saying, hey, this it's this is actually 11. Mm-hmm. But yeah. it, I, it's a little, like, I, I agree with you. It is heavy-handed. But I, I mean... I think I think it works as a reveal for the characters, but mm. not necessarily for us as an audience because we already know hearing the stories and their reactions at that time is just like, oh, okay, well, this is obviously Eleven that she's talking about. Right. I'm just dumbfounded. This bothers you more than the it's, love triangle. I wouldn't like, say. I, am, I wouldn't completely say, beside myself. I like, wouldn't say. Here I am. I would not <laughs> say it. I wouldn't say it bothers me more. It's that. The in the with the love triangle, I can look at what they're with the love triangle. The, the, the direction is fine, like it's it's whatever. Um, but with the moment that they're doing this reveal, like the the moment they're attempting to do is the correct story beat to, to play out at this point. It's just the way it's done is just awful, in my opinion. I just uh, whatever again, <laughs> just it, it may just be the pure heavy handedness of it, but that just. It is very heavy-handed. Again, I'll agree things. with the heavy-handedness, but the the technique thing is what weirds me out. But either way, you know, circles. Yeah. No. <laughs> so anyway, the last freaking scene. Okay. Oh my lord. The last scene is immaculate. Yeah. I I this scene, these two episodes, I feel like pair together really well for this podcast because I don't think either of these episodes are, as a whole, the sum of their parts, amazing. But they this episode in contrast to the previous one to me, has so many amazing moments that those moments really overshadow the things I hate about this episode. Whereas in the previous episode, I feel like I didn't get enough of those. I most, I pretty much agree. I think going forward, when I think back to this episode, I will think to the amazing moments and I will forget about the stupid moments. Like, I mean, the love triangle totally fades in the back of my mind when I think about the cliff moment. Because the cliff moment, you know, you sort of see it coming a mile away, I was so but happy you also when I said- hope that it happens. I also I said that in the during the episode I was like I really want him to step off that cliff and Eleven to catch him like that is the best way that scene could have possibly went because it shows you so much about Mike and how much he values this friendship 
and at the same time you kind of need him in one piece and mm-hmm. but it would be it would be an awesome moment for 11 to pick him up and pull him back up off the cliff it it's so bookends so bookends it bookends so well the conversation he had just had with dustin where dustin's like listen man i get it and dustin's being very realistic and calm about it. he's like lucas is your best friend and i just want you guys to continue to stay friends uh, and he's like but you're yeah. my best friend too and you can sort of read mike's acting as like well yeah like you're right but i don't want you to feel like you're not valued and like that's a great scene for him i don't think that was his objective i think he just really values dustin Mm -hmm. but it really bookends that conversation very well i also just want to point out how much i love that dustin was putting himself in that position of look i get it i'm i'm the new guy here and i know i'm not quite as good of friends with you and i love how validated it's clear he feels by the end of that conversation when mike is like no but you're also my best friend and he's like oh yay Yay. thanks (laughs) yeah (laughs) like it's so good it's awesome i also love that he literally like lets out a war cry and tries to defend uh mike mm-hmm. with that stick yeah and just fails yeah. but it's so <laughs> endearing that he made such a conscious effort to do so against and, the guy with a knife and yeah, mike okay. has the worst throw yeah. like oh, it, yeah. it, it's really yeah mike come on, <laughs> come on. Dude. you're not you get gonna a little closer you're not gonna hunt a demogorgon <laughs> <laughs> it's it's he's in front of you. He's yeah. not flanking you. Do you have an eye problem? Like, can you not see him? What's he has a translucent eye patch. It is neither practical name. nor is it necessary. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's an amazing moment. I freaking love it. It's definitely actually that and the grocery store scene might be in my top five sequences in this series so far. I, I mean, I'm almost tempted to put the entire first episode in that same category. As I well. mean, for yeah. me, this this moment with Eleven when she catches him is number one, right? now like as far as i'm concerned that's the top that's the best this moment this show has been so far oh man it's fantastic and to me i feel like all the low points are for the most part out of the way i i again i am kind of fading on some of the stuff that happens a little later i remember like the end obviously yeah (laughs) but i don't know it's uh it's gonna be fun to rewatch and see if i feel the same way still yeah i I feel like this is probably one of like the iconic scenes especially up to this point of this show is like her like catching mike dropping him down and then just walking up to oh them. man she is she so is menacing so intense yeah like that actually walk- broke his arm right yeah. like Ugh. i would run away from that little girl even if i didn't know she didn't ha- she had psychic powers like she is terrifying in that moment and i'm not gonna lie the uh the juxtaposition where she touches the demogorgon and then it cuts oh. back i mean that i mean mm-hmm. anytime she's in that weird place that realm or whatever it, it's yeah, just that, like in it's between. amazingly framed like the the composition is just there's something so eerie and otherworldly about it every time it happens so everything's perfectly Mm -hmm. symmetrically like you know situated and ah it's just really fascinating yeah it's so good yeah it just it looks like someplace that like you can see her perfectly it's not like oh this is like a shadow place but like you can see she is perfectly lit but everything else is black yeah it's very like kubrick yeah exactly it's just crazy um, but even that I feel like is not nearly as powerful to me as like just the little moment that follows afterward where she has this sort of whimper where she believes mm. she's the monster because she opened the void and they have that hug and I have gotten teary eyed every single time I've watched it. It's just like the most pure like 
image of representing like what friendship looks like that I've mm. seen in a long time in film or television. And, <laughs> and I, no surprise, Lucas isn't there for it. <laughs> oh, come on. It's not fair. <laughs> well, he, no, but he is going out looking for the He is doing his thing. He's going to help for Wilf, yeah. 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 And I really like what's going, this is reminding me of beats that are coming up and I can't really say more about it because it's great. Mm-hmm. So awesome. Look forward to not watching it for a while. <laughs> I guess till we get back together. Don't do it. Don't do it. Hey, you've done a great Don't job so it, far, Rick. We've been very proud of you. <laughs> Lies. You've been mocking me this entire but, time. But no, I am proud <laughs> of you. I can we be proud, proud of you and mock you at the same time. I guess that's guy friendship in a nutshell. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, I guess that's it for us. Yeah, All right. Yeah. That's great. We're opinionated.